Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT, with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will discuss key ideas that just may help you during your time as an ECT slash NQT. I'll be talking to a range of people who will all have something interesting and informative to say on the art of being a great teacher. Today, we are discussing dual coding. Has there ever been a more important pedagogical approach to aid students' understanding of new ideas? Later on in the podcast, I'll be talking to Zachary and Isla, two secondary school students, about how they perceive dual coding and the value for their learning. But first, let's go into the classroom. The children are listening intently to your explanation and you think they've all understood what you want them to do. You send them away to start work. And what happens? For some, a lot. For some, not much. Why is that? What is it that means there's a disparity between achievement in the lesson? Some children doing lots of hard work, but making lots of errors. What's that about? How is it that all the children receive the same instruction, but some, if not the majority at times, are unable to achieve the expected learning in the lesson? Well, it could be that your verbal instruction was precisely what some of the children needed to make clear what they had to do and how to be successful in the lesson. But for others, there were bits of learning that they couldn't visualize, couldn't picture in their heads, so they couldn't link together all the key ideas that you had so painstakingly explained. Then they can't get the complete picture of what needs to be done. And that's where dual coding comes in. So what is dual coding? Well, the term dual coding is quite a recent invention that's become widespread in recent years for something that good teachers have done with their students for decades. Yes, decades. It's still something that not every teacher does or knows when to do. So I thought a podcast would be really valuable. I was talking to some teachers last week and few of them have heard, had heard of the term. Yet I believe it's a fundamental teaching and learning strategy that every teacher should use in just about every lesson. If you haven't heard of the term dual coding, let's use the definition from the learning scientists. They're a group of cognitive scientists who carry out research into various aspects of education. And they say this about dual coding. It's the process of combining verbal materials with visual materials. There are many ways to visually represent material, such as infographics, the visual representation of information, data or knowledge, Timelines, cartoon strips, diagrams, and graphic organizers. Concept maps, mind maps, relationship charts that depict the relationships between facts, terms, and ideas. When you have the same information in two formats, words and visuals, it gives you two ways of remembering the information later on. Combining these visuals with words is an effective way to study. Now, obviously, the act of combining verbal and visual materials can be done by the teacher or the students. As a teacher, it is most usefully done when teaching new knowledge or skills. And the reason for this is threefold. Firstly, 
we have two information channels that feed our work in memory, the visual and the verbal. If I visually represent the material I'm explaining to the students, then I am activating both of those information channels. Secondly, whilst these two channels are separate and independent, the presentation of both together enables a connection to be made between the two. So one channel can trigger a connection with the other. And this, of course, greatly improves recall. As put simply, there are now two ways of prompting recall of what has been taught. Thirdly, because the visual and verbal channel are processed differently, when I'm speaking, I'm providing information in a sequential way. Each bit of information follows on logically from the previous bit. But when I'm representing the material visually, I'm providing the big picture, which can be taken in all at once. Now, that's all quite theoretical, of course. So let's take a real example from my own teaching. When I was an NQT, or ECT as you'd call it now, I began my teaching career with a year five class. Now, with a background in science, I was really keen to get my children to love it as much as I did. I'm quite old now, old enough to have worked in schools before there was a national curriculum. So we could decide what we wanted to do as I was very keen to get the children interested and engaged. And as we were developing a toy shop theme, I thought using toy cars to explore forces and energy would be a great thing to do. And were the children excited? Core blimey, you bet they were. Not only did they get the chance to bring in their toy cars from home, they also got to play with them in class. Though I kept telling them they were working with them, not playing. And that's what I told the parents, of course. Now, that all sounds good, doesn't it? Excited children, purposeful learning. So the only question was where to pitch the learning. I decided to teach a bit about gravity and a bit about energy. Perfectly understandable, I thought, if taught well. Hmm. So did I teach it well? Yeah, uh, honestly, honestly, I did okay. I modelled my teaching with the toy car, lifted it up to the top of the slope, talked about how I'd transferred the energy from me to the car so it had the potential to roll down the slope under the force of gravity. Children, of course, were very excited, even when I talked about how friction had slowed the car to a stop and the energy had dissipated so it could go no further. Yes, I know, I know, this is GCSE but I thought by matching it to the practical task and talking about it in simple terms, they'd be able to get a basic understanding of what was happening. And we know that learning is step by step. So you start something off, it's never the whole story, never the whole picture, and then you add bits on. But in simplest terms, they did get a basic understanding. Though you wouldn't have known that from looking in the books afterwards. They drew lovely diagrams of the car at the top of the slope, halfway down and when it had stopped and they labeled it too nice labels trouble is they wrote things like ready to go racing down conked out and i wanted some scientific terms so after the lesson i showed the work to my amazing nqt mentor vera Acklaw, and vera gave me a lesson i've never forgotten did you draw it on the board as you were explaining she said and label the drawing with the key scientific words. Because otherwise, how are they going to remember everything you've said, even if you have shown them what's happening with the toy cars? 
Never forget, she said, that children can only remember a small amount of what you say. You need to help them remember things by drawing and labelling as you teach. The penny dropped. If children could see the ideas that I was trying to get them to understand in a diagrammatic form, then they'd have a much better chance of understanding and remembering the tricky bits. Why? Because it's easy to take in a simple diagram all in one go and add an explanation to this, rather than trying to process a verbal explanation and link all the different spoken ideas together, as this requires a lot of working memory. If a child is working at the edge of their knowledge, the diagram gives them a clear picture to attach their new thinking to. Obvious. It's how I learn. Why didn't I think of that? When I go to courses, I love seeing the big picture all at once. So then I can slot what the presenter is saying into my understanding. So I use this aspect of pedagogy from that moment on. And it always had a very positive impact on supporting children's learning. So does it really help the children? I mean, really help them? Well, the good news is I've got a couple of students with me, both now at secondary school, and they're going to chat to us about their experience with dual coding. So I'm delighted to welcome Zachary and Isla. They're going to talk to us about dual coding. First of all, good afternoon. How are you? Good, thanks. Yeah, it's good, thanks. Yeah, good. Well, you're looking pretty happy, I must say. Um, obviously, not been too tough a day at school today. So how's school going? Things back to normal? It's definitely strange being able to move around again and not having to wear masks all the time. So, yeah, it's, it's, I'd say it's pretty back to normal, yeah. And what about you, Isla? Because, because you left primary school, was it a year ago now? different to primary school it's the one-way systems but moving around the classrooms as well it's it's very different to what I'm used to I'm getting used to it now yeah that's good you always get used to it don't you there's millions of people have gone through it it's just a bit of a shock to the system when you start so do you think do you think your absence during lockdown has had much of an impact on you as students or is it or is it too early to say not me. I can obviously talk to my friends whenever I want. And I don't really need to go out and talk to everyone that often. So I'm quite happy where I am. So it didn't really impact me much. Um, as quite a few of my friends live away from where we live now, it was quite hard because I didn't get to see them as much. But um, the work in lockdown was quite good because I got set quite a lot in the last lockdown but it's been it was quite hard in the middle but it's slowly getting better now yeah that's good it's it's really difficult I think it's it's much harder you know I'm an old bloke myself so it's a bit easier for me I've sort of gone through that whole teenage thing and uh and, and sort of lived my life fairly freely so I think it's much harder for young people um the lockdowns and not being able to see your friends and, and obviously the continuity of your education. So, but you, but you thought the work that was set was good and it, and it kept you chugging along, did it? Yeah, I did get quite a lot of work in lockdown, but also you could do extra work if you wanted to. And um, we bought a few books so that I could work through them as well. But the work was quite good because it kept me going throughout the day. 
that's good. And and the same for you, Zachary. Yeah, the school's really good. It set us live lessons every day. Every teacher was on from nine till three. You could talk to them whenever you wanted to. There was just you never really ran out of stuff to do. It was always work. Yeah, that's good. And and as a teacher, I'd always say you need to make the most of every minute. And and that's probably truer now than ever. So let's go on to dual coding now. Do you think it does help you understand new ideas more quickly than just listening to the teacher speaking to explain them? Me, definitely. To be honest, I do get like really bored when the teacher's speaking. I zone out a little bit. <laughs> there's, a, there's a thing, Zachary. I say this to trainee teachers. I say uh, the amount of time you can talk for is chronological age plus two minutes. And after that, they're going to shut down and switch off. So, uh, so what you've said there seems to uh, to be fairly accurate, really. To that, yeah. Do carry on. What were you saying? But yeah, they um, when they do write stuff down and draw loads of pictures, it kind of helps me get back into focus, and I can understand what they're talking about. And overall, it just helps me get a clearer picture of what happens when like, an atom splits or anything like that. It's just really helpful. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that language you've used. It, it helps me get a picture because that's the point. To learn things, we have to have a picture in our head, don't we? And if the teacher can provide one, it might not be the one you store away in your head and use all the time, but it gets you started, doesn't it, in forming that, that picture in your own head. So what about you, Isla? I mean, and in primary school, you've, you've only been out for a year now. Did, did they use this dual coding approach a lot in primary school? Um, yeah, it was quite a lot. It was, say, if you were in science or something like that and you didn't understand what it looked like or how they're explaining it, you could draw it in your book and copy what they were drawing in there because it just it's a lot easier than writing it all in and trying to remember all that's what's happened. If you do oh. it in pictures... Absolutely. And I like your language too, trying to remember it, because the point of dual coding that I say to teachers when I train them all the time is when you listen, it uses one part of the brain. And when you look, it uses another part of the brain. So by using both of them together, it gives your brain more capacity to think about the things you're being taught. Um, so, so do you think Zachary, you said physics, good for physics, splitting the atom. Crikey, I don't know if I can picture splitting the atom. So that's something you'll have to teach me. Um, do you think, are there some subjects where it's not as useful? Yeah, I mean, in things like English, it's it's all about the writing, isn't it? It's all mm. about the analysing and the creating pieces of work. It's not about the looking at stuff. So... Mm diagrams in English wouldn't really help you. As you've both said, doing it in science is great. And, and I'm sure things like history or geography, when you're looking at relationship, Henry VIII, what was his relationship with all those wives and what happened to them? You know, I still struggle to remember exactly what happened to each wife and why. And uh, if only I'd used dual coding. It was nice, Isla, that you said, I can do pictures myself as well. I can use what the teacher has drawn, put it in my book, add to it, add my own explanations. And, and that, do you think that's really useful in being able to remember things? If you go back to it, uh, like another lesson, 
and then you don't understand what they were doing in the next lesson, notes might not really help, but drawing a picture might like rejog your memory of what happened. Yeah, great. So is there anything else? I mean, so dual coding, you both seem pretty keen on it, really, as a, as a good idea for helping you with your learning. Is there anything else that, that helps you understand new ideas more effectively that the teachers do? I quite like doing mind maps and stuff like that, or pictures. Like in English, sometimes, because we're doing a book, we do mind maps of the characters and you'll draw a picture of them and you'll label things about them and you also write notes but I find the pictures really helps so I can capture what they're feeling. Lovely what a great explanation that is you've got to become a teacher Isla you're so clear. Zachary what about you is there anything else that that helps you a lot? I don't really like the mind maps I think they're a bit too I'm not very creative I don't really like the the fiddly little lines and things like that. I quite like when the teacher obviously uses pictures, but then also uses like resources of things like websites to help you. Yeah. Um, because then you've got more than one opinion towards it and it can help you build a clearer idea of what you're doing. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And what's really nice about the two of you is the importance of presenting information in different ways. And you won't always have the information presented in exactly the way you want, but by presenting it in different ways and using different resources, you end up with something that's powerful for everyone and uh, enables everyone to learn really effectively. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today because having that illustration from, from real life students rather than listening, as I say, to this old bloke, who, who says things because he believes in them, but having someone who's actually going through the system now and, and saying how useful it is, it's so good for the listeners. So I hope you heard that, everyone. Zachary and Isla's Common Sense Guide to Dual Coding, something very important for us to take on board. So you can see, having listened to Zachary and Isla, just how useful dual coding is for students. I was discussing this with some trainee teachers from the Colchester Teacher Training Consortium. We were exploring air resistance by dropping a flat piece of paper and comparing how quickly it fell compared to a piece the same size, but scrunched up. As we discussed the reasons why the scrunched up ball fell quicker, I drew a picture showing the flat piece and the scrunched up bit falling. And underneath them, I drew circles to represent the air molecules that would be bumped into by the falling pieces of paper. The diagram showed clearly that the flat piece of paper would collide with many more air molecules than the scrunched up piece. And this gave a clear explanation of how air resistance differed between the two pieces of paper. Chris Runnicles gives a great explanation of this in his post Explaining Through Dual Coding on classteaching.wordpress.com. He quotes Oliver Caviglioli. Who's he, I hear you ask? Well, he used to be a teacher of a special school, and he wrote several books on visual teaching strategies and was a trainer in schools and colleges for nearly a decade. He's now written the uh, How-To's Visual Step-by-Step -step Guides to Teaching Techniques. That's also well worth a look. Anyway, he said this. 
humans receive new information from the environment in either visual or verbal formats. There are others, but these two are the most fundamental. Incoming visual information is held in working memory in one place, and incoming verbal information is held and processed in another. Both of these areas are limited in storage capacity. Both are independent of each other, but they do form, at moments, links or associations. When images are linked in this way to words, they enrich and expand the encoding process, which we call, of course, learning. Now, Chris, in his post, goes on to say that we're able to accept both visual and verbal inputs at the same time, and we can accept a greater capacity of visual input at one time compared with verbal input. As teachers, we are constantly attempting to explain ideas that are clear to us, but, of course, unfamiliar to students. Well, by combining visual and verbal input, we can increase the chances of explanations making sense to students. So we've described how dual coding can aid explanations, but what do you do if you are unsure as a teacher what to draw as you talk? Because we don't want you being cognitively overloaded any more than we do the students. Well, if you're coming up to teaching a concept that you know students might struggle with because they haven't studied it much or because the challenge is going to be quite significant in the lesson, then you need to plan the images you want to draw in class while giving your verbal explanation. This will ensure you avoid the risk of dual coding becoming a barrier rather than a help during your explanation. When you know the simple diagram you're going to use to support your spoken words, then you can focus on making sure the explanation is clear and not worry about what to draw to illustrate the idea. Students as well can use this approach when recording their thoughts during independent learning tasks. We heard that from Isla earlier, didn't we? So dual coding is something that helps everyone and can deepen and extend learning. It was the Chinese philosopher and politician Confucius, who is widely considered to be one of the most important and influential individuals in human history. Not a bad tag, that one, is it? And he said that famous quote, which you probably know, but I'll repeat again here. I hear and I forget. I see and I remember. I do and I understand. And he was right, wasn't he? This saying might be a little simplistic, but the overall intent is hard to argue with in an educational setting. So dual coding is definitely something to consider if you don't use it already. If you'd like more information on this, or if you have any questions, get in touch on Twitter at WhatNQT or by email on jnc.edu at gmail.com. You can use either of those for any information from any of the podcasts we have. I'm always happy to respond. So thank you for listening. I look forward to being with you next time for another educational chat. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT.